Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for 7 years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 22 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about how to handle restaurants when you have type 1. It's always a struggle when you don't know what's in your food, or even if you can eat anything on the menu. And just a quick reminder for everybody, if you have questions about type 1 diabetes or about the show, please leave us a comment or send us an email at colleen at inspiredforward.com. This week, I have the win of the week. It's pretty simple, but my win is from earlier this week, and it was keeping my number in range on the last day of my infusion site. With tandem pumps, the last day of the site is the least effective because of how long the insulin has been warm against the pump electronics and my skin. And kind of a a fail attached to that is the last day of this last site was last night and it did not stay in range. What's your fail this week, Jesse? So mine's not exactly a fail. It's kind of like a five-minute problem, basically. So I left my kit at home when I went to the store there's a store that's down our hill and it, it's only like a five minute drive. So I really wasn't concerned about it. Um, and I had my sensor on at the time. So I wasn't, you know, panicking what my blood sugar was or, you know, should I drive home? Should I have my mom pick me up, test my blood sugar, come back, then drive home? So I wasn't worried about that. But it just felt strange not to have my kit with me because it is that security blanket and it is that like, you know, you've had it for so long, you always have to have it on you. And then, if you're at the store and you're like, oh, that's not good. But yeah, that's my fail of the week. All right, Colleen, what's your what's your hack this week for us? So the hack this week has to do with Sharps containers. If you use any kind of syringe or a needle that can't go into the garbage, then you have to put it into a Sharps container. And I'm talking about if you're refilling a reservoir or especially on the tandem pumps because it's a big it's a big needle to re to do the cartridges on the tandem pumps, or if you're using a syringe or a pen needles. Pen needles also count. So you don't actually have to use a medical branded or one of those official Sharps containers from like a hospital or that you get on Amazon. I did get a couple of those, but you don't actually have to use those. You can use these big plastic bottles or jugs like plastic gallon sized or half gallon sized milk cartons, vinegar jugs, old bleach containers, anything that has a thick plastic shell and a cap. My endocrinologist says that all you have to do when it's full is just duct tape the cap shut and then toss it in with the garbage. And it it sounds weird, but this is exactly what we did when I was growing up. The jug was on the top of the fridge, and every time I had a Sharp, I just popped it in the bottle, and then my mom took care of the rest. So this episode is all about eating out at restaurants. Eating out at restaurants often feels like a major challenge for type 1 diabetics. It's impossible to know what all the ingredients are, how many carbs are in something, or even if you can eat anything at the restaurant at all. I don't eat out very often, but when I do, it pays to prepare and go in knowing that what I eat might affect my blood sugar in undesired ways. Let's just leave it there. 
the times when I most often go out to restaurants is when I'm on business trips and it's usually for lunch or dinner. So let's go over some just general tips for eating out. All right, here's some general tips. Look at the menu ahead. Most restaurants post their menus online and on their websites. So when restaurants don't have websites, they're probably on Facebook or Yelp. It isn't that rare to find a menu somewhere online, even if it's a picture taken by a Patreon or posted on Google reviews. So a couple of sub notes with that, looking up a menu ahead of time lets you know what your options are. It sounds straightforward, but there are some fancy menus with obscure ingredients. It pays to go into the restaurant knowing ahead of time what things you can eat or even already knowing what you want to order. And then another sub note, more and more places are providing nutritional information on their websites, especially fast food restaurants. This gives us type 1 diabetics an enormous amount of food flexibility because they're so accurate or at least semi-accurate. So our second note is decide ahead of time if you are going to have dessert. Doing this lets you avoid any impulse decisions that you've already had something to eat and you know that extra sugary snack sounds really amazing but deciding on dessert ahead of time also helps you understand how much insulin you'll need it'll also give you time to pre-bolus beforehand which we will get into in a minute also another tip i just want to add this in for going out and eating at fast food places When they have that paper on the trays and you're eating inside, go ahead and flip that over. That's where all of your nutritional information is going to be if you're just eating on a whim and you don't have cell service. That's actually a really good tip. I forgot all about the paper on the trays. So the next note we have in the general tip section is make sure you have enough insulin for whatever you're planning on eating. Also make sure you have enough supplies on you in case you stay out longer than just dinner. Sometimes you might go to a movie afterward or go out for drinks with your friends if you're overage, you know, 21 and older. You don't want to have a bad time diabetes-wise if you arrive at the restaurant and realize you only have like three units left in your pump. And this tip also counts for holiday gatherings. As we mentioned in an episode a few weeks ago, Jessie went to Thanksgiving with a low reservoir and couldn't have any carb-heavy dessert because she ran out of insulin. Our next general tip is don't be afraid to ask your server about the menu or for substitutions. Whenever I go out for lunch at a local cafe, I always get a custom omelet and then I sub out the toast and the hash brown sides for low-carb alternatives like tomato slices and cottage cheese. More and more people take advantage of substitutions at restaurants and it won't phase the servers. If a server tells you that they can't make a specific substitution, like subbing maybe bacon for a different side that for some reason the restaurant just won't sub it like that, or maybe they don't have an alternative that you can eat, it's okay to just request that they leave the original side off the plate entirely. All right, so we're going to move on to predicting carb counts. So online nutritional information is the best place for predicting your carb counts. Some menus have carb counts as well as calorie counts, but it's not that often you're going to have to go off and do your own research about how much carbs you're going to eat or how much insulin you're going to need. A big stumbling block when eating out at a restaurant is the sauce. Sauce makes everything taste better. It's good. It it adds that little pizzazz into your food. Yet most sauces are often stuffed with sugars. If you bolused for dinner and then experience a high later, the high is probably from the sauce. It's easy to forget to bolus for the sauce, but it's also very important. 
this is especially true when it comes to barbecued food. You are so right about barbecued food. Keep in mind that gluten-free pastas and breads contain more carbs than their wheat counterparts. This is really important. Alexa Brenner talked about how celiac and diabetes kind of interact with each other in episode 20. And she also mentioned that a plate of gluten-free pasta can be around 90 carbs, which is insane. The reality is that the longer you're a diabetic, the easier it is to predict the carb counts and kind of guesstimate how much insulin you'll need for a meal that you didn't prepare yourself. When I was growing up, my mom had this little carb count book called Calorie King, and it had the nutrition information for most fast food restaurants and common foods that restaurants serve. So this little book kind of helped keep us on top of bolusing when eating out, and then I took it to college with me to help kind of ease the transition. And then Jesse has some good tips later about predicting carb counts. I do, but I do want to mention Calorie King. If you don't know it, it's a nutritional book. It used to be a book. Now it's online as an app. You can get it on your phone. Most iPhones and Androids will support it. I have it on mine. Colleen's looking it up on hers right now because she didn't know about it. But you know, if you don't have it, it even has like a little search bar. It has the restaurants categorized by alphabetical. It has your location. You can even look up beforehand as like a free menu right there. So you don't have to go anywhere and just look up what you want. Moving on. Pre-bolusing. As diabetics, we're told that we should pre-bolus about 15 minutes before we start eating because that's how long it takes for insulin to start working. But carbohydrates hit the system as soon as the food touches your tongue. So it can cause fast sugar spikes before the insulin even starts working. This is okay for meals at home, school, and work because we know exactly when and what we're going to eat and know how it's going to interact with our bodies. But in reality, it's impossible to predict this when you receive food from a restaurant. So bolusing ahead of time could prove irresponsible, especially if you don't have any low snacks on you to treat a low blood sugar if your food doesn't arrive faster than you think it will. This is a very dangerous game to play, by the way, if you want to pre-bolus right when you got the menu and right when you ordered, because it often takes the server about a half an hour to get food, which is fine. I mean, I'm not complaining about it. It's just, you know, it'll take longer than you expect. One suggestion is to ask for a portion on your meal to arrive sooner, maybe a side or an appetizer. So you have something just in case you gave insulin ahead of time and you don't have anything to eat at the moment. So the approach I take with this is to order a low-carb meal and then I bolus when the food arrives. So you should bolus before you start eating anyway because the food will hit your system before the insulin will and the sooner you can get insulin on board the better. The only caveat is if you're starting a meal when your blood sugar is already low, you should reduce your food bolus to make sure your number rises enough without falling later or bolus immediately after you eat. Keep in mind that you will probably have to give insulin even if you're eating a low-carb meal like me. We've mentioned this before, and I think it was episode six on uh, eating low-carb, but oftentimes when type 1 diabetics start eating low-carb, we have to start bolusing for protein. And the ratios are completely different, and it also depends on the type of protein. So that will take some experimentation to figure out what works for you. All right, so now we're going to go into not bolusing enough, which is pretty, pretty not okay. You shouldn't do that. Another thing to consider is that when diabetics eat out at restaurants, it's easy to underbolus than overbolus. With so many hidden sugars and carbs in foods, we least expect them, such as sauces, gravies, even some salads or meat. 
It's difficult to get an accurate picture of the carb count unless we see the nutritional facts ahead of time or get a really good trial and error for multiple visits to the same restaurant when you order the same thing. Sometimes restaurants make meatballs with flour or potato starch to keep them from falling apart. This will raise your blood sugar because it's a carb sustenance. Managing type 1 diabetes is a weird blend of art and science, so don't be afraid to experiment with ratios or test how your body reacts to different foods. Also, I just want to throw out a tip, and I might say this later too, is to bolus for half of your meal as soon as it gets there, and then the other half if you do decide to eat the rest of your meal so you're not convicted into eating your whole meal when you're not that hungry. That's a really good tip. I didn't think about that one. So now we're going to kind of move into what works for us when we eat out. For me, eating dinner or late at night kind of causes overnight highs. I have a basal profile that handles overnight highs from eating dinner, but it still needs a lot of work because sometimes it makes me ride the low line at night and I don't want to do that either. I also still need to create a basal profile that covers eating dinner and staying up late. I have to eat low carb, otherwise I will not be able to catch any highs that result from deviating from my low carb protocol. And this includes any appetizers with breading, even if I bolus ahead of time for them. So back in October of 2019, I went out to dinner with family while on a business trip, and I had a few fried zucchini fries that actually spiked me over 200 for like several hours. It was really annoying. It was just a small amount of carbohydrates, but it ruined my blood sugars. I also can't have a chips or fries side with a hamburger because I will end up eating a few of them to my own detriment. It's a willpower thing. If I don't give myself the opportunity to test my willpower with a side of chips on my plate, then I won't even want to steal a chip or something off my husband's plate. And it's kind of weird because I normally don't have any desire for chips or fries. I can easily ignore any high-carb processed foods that people bring in at work, but put some kettle chips next to my burger and I'm really tempted to eat them. My default meals when eating out are omelets, which are really good, and bunless burgers. Sometimes I'll order sandwiches without the bread, and I'll sub vegetables for the carby sides that normally come with restaurant meals. I've never really had any problems with subbing out the sides, and whenever they don't have a side that I want, I just kind of leave the carby side off my order, even though I still pay for it. It's a trade-off that I'm more than willing to make to keep my blood sugars from riding a roller coaster. All right, so... Just let you know, I don't eat out that often. It's maybe once a month, maybe. And when I do, it's local restaurants and local diners that are like home family type of thing. So the carb counting is always a, a good guess. And most of the time, I know the carb counts by heart because this is back when my parents figured out carbs still. And then I just kind of carried that on. So if you can't find the carb counts on their official websites, look at a couple of other websites to see what the carb counts are for their foods. Kind of average it out. See what's in the ballpark range of a dish of pasta, that burger with that bun, the steak fries from Red Robins compared to the steak fries at maybe a local burger house. So always comparing different restaurants or different places to see what they have to say about carbs and then kind of figuring out the middle ground has always been super helpful for me. And it usually keeps my blood sugars fairly okay after I go out to eat. So ask what's in your food. If you don't know, don't feel bad about asking questions about it. You don't even have to explain that you're type 1. So even though it's always good to tell people that you're type 1 diabetic, you don't really have to tell them what, you know, justifying your reason. You don't have to justify your reasons to ask what's in your food. 
and it's good to always ask what's in your food because it might have like a side of cheese or like you know something in there that you don't want even though on the menu it gives you a list of ingredients or like a list of stuff that's in it that might not always be like everything that's in it so just another quick reminder always try and figure out your carbs before you go out to eat so spend some time at home spend 10-15 minutes before your friends come over before you go see them and just figure out what your carbs are what your averages are going to be um, if you can't find that carb count go ahead and feel good about what you eat if there's something that you like to eat own it so if you like to go out and eat a plate of nachos go out and eat that plate of nachos don't feel like Although your blood sugars are very, very important, you should always keep them in mind. If you want to eat that food, go ahead and eat that food. Like, it's okay to eat it, but just keep in mind that it will affect your blood sugar and it will, you know, everything hits you differently at different times. So just keep an eye on it. Um, always keep in mind that what you eat will affect your blood sugar. It just depends on your body's way to decide how long and how much it will affect you. I'm going to do a quick little story here. So one time I went out to eat with my family and I got an omelet with a small portion of hash browns. I was low 20 minutes after I ate and I underbolused because I knew I was going to go walking around a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'll just eat. It's fine. It's whatever. I'll just go walk more to, you know, kind of keep the digestion flowing. And then the next week we went out and did the same thing. I got the exact same stuff, ate the exact same size, went on the exact same walk. Then my blood sugar was high for two hours afterwards. And I overbolus for that. Well, what I thought was overbolusing. But I I don't I don't know. I don't, it, it's fine. My you know, your body just reacts differently. Also, another thing that I really like to do, and I know a lot of families do this around the holidays, is going on a walk after you eat a big meal, not just sitting around. So this usually helps to keep with your body's way of, you know, digesting the food, making sure that it, you know, goes through and you're getting all that nutrients. But it also helps to lower your blood sugars immediately following. And from what I can tell from, you know, experimenting this with myself, it'll keep my blood sugars, you know, from riding that high line the rest of the night, not just for like 20 minutes and then it goes straight back up. A lot of the time, if I if my blood sugar is going up after I eat at work, I'll go on a walk right afterwards just to, to catch it. So that's a good tip. So moving on to into our diabetes spotlight. This week's spotlight is focused on Diatribe, and that's an online resource for diabetics, both type one and type two. And they always seem to have a relevant blog post or article. Adam Brown, who was Diatribe's senior editor through 2019 and who is now a guest contributor, he wrote a post on restaurants and how he handles eating out. And you can find that at diatribe.org restaurants, and we'll put that link in the show notes. So Diatribe can act as your one-stop shop for learning more about diabetes, especially if you start at their resource page, which we'll put in the show notes. Especially relevant today is the ever-increasing cost of diabetes care. Diatribe has a directory of information on insurance appeals, other insurance things, saving money on diabetes care, how to get access to insulin, and so much more. And all of that is at diatribe.org access. Diatribe is a website that I give out to anyone who asks about resources for type 1 diabetes, especially newly diagnosed people. 
you could spend hours on this website just going down the rabbit hole of knowledge, which is the best way to educate yourself about all the strange things you don't understand about diabetes or you just want to learn more about them. Okay, so our question for the audience this week. Our question for you guys is, what is your favorite thing to eat out? What are your go-to restaurants? Let us know in the show comments or send us emails and we can even give you a shout out on the show or the next episode for you. My favorite restaurant is a little breakfast and lunch cafe that's really close to my work building and they make the best omelets I have ever had. That's the place where I always get the the custom omelets and it's it's so just so good. I do about the same thing. We go to this um, little cafe called The Sunroom and I always get the vegetarian eggs, scrambled eggs and a slice of banana bread which comes customary with their plate. Although it is a risk for my blood sugars, I really do enjoy it and it makes me happy every time I go in there. So I don't mind it so much. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 22. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and your family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to listen in next week when we talk about telling other people about your diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.